One of my favorite kind of character tropes is the comical trickster. The character that drives the plot forward, but you can't tell when they are benevolent or malicious. Some of my favorite examples of this are Q from Star Trek The Next Generation, Captain Jack Sparrow from the Pirates of the Caribbean, and likely the most popular right now, Loki from Disney's MCU. The trickster has caught this current generation's attention by storm, and it's not hard to see why. They are often the smartest character in the room, or at the very least, the most disarming. They exist in a place of ambiguity and chaos, which often gives any story a sense of mystery and titillation for the audience. The trickster often functions as the anti-hero. They're not really noble, and they can often do very wrong things, but they aren't completely sinister. However, I want to offer up another trickster to my generation that isn't as popular right now as, say, Loki, but who I think needs to be enjoyed for what he does in the tale of A Midsummer's Night's Dream. His name is Puck, yet his name is not Puck. You should pay attention to him as I relay what happened on that warm Midsummer's Eve and we shall take especially careful focus on what he says at the end of the play, for it is there that the turn happens and makes the audience rethink the whole story. Midsummer Night's Dream is one of the plays of William Shakespeare, and this play is a comedy. However, everything is not as it seems. Magic is afoot in this tale, and it directly affects the characters' choices messes with their reason, and is used to completely take away a person's agency. Set of the course of one night, the play opens with the king of Athens planning his own wedding with his soon-to-be bride, Hippolyta, queen of the Amazons. Then Aegeus, a noble, enters the courts and requests of Theseus to see to it that his daughter Hermia marries Demetrius, a man that Hermia does not love. Theseus offers to Hermia an ultimatum of honoring her father's will by marrying Demetrius or else she must die or become a nun. Now the man that Hermia does love is Lysander. So the two plan to run away together through the wood to Lysander's family and get married with them. Hermia lets a good friend of hers, Helena, know that she will be free to pursue Demetrius, the man she loves once they leave. However, Helena, concerned that if the two lovers leave, Demetrius will forever think of Helena as the one that got away, and thus Demetrius would never completely love Helena. So the lovers flee into the woods, and Helena tells Demetrius. So once the lovers flee into the woods, Helena tells Demetrius, who chases after the couple, with Helena close behind. The first act of the play is almost like a long introduction for everything that's about to happen in the wood. The story now shifts to the woods, where some craftsmen have gathered to practice their silly rendition of the tragic Greek play of Pyramus and Thisbe, two lovers who die. The play is to be put on as entertainment for Theseus's wedding to Hippolyta. 
Of these craftsmen, there is one who stands out from the rest. He is Nick Bottom, a rather dim-witted, jovial weaver by trade. Unbeknownst to the craftsmen and the Athenian lovers, the woods in that moonlit night belong to the fairies. The king and queen of the fairies, Oberon and Titania, rule the wood, but they are also having a lover's quarrel of their own. Oberon wishes to make a changeling boy, a child that the fairies stole, a knight, while Titania wishes to care for the child. They have an argument which ends with Oberon frustrated, and so he turns to his court fool, Puck. Puck and Oberon decide to play a prank on Titania. There is a flower whose nectar, when spread over the recipient's eyes, makes them fall madly in love with the first thing they see. So Puck goes and collects the flower and brings it to Oberon. Oberon takes some of the potion and then tells Puck that there are some Athenians running about his forest that need their love triangle remedied, and so sends Puck with the rest of the potion to help them while Oberon uses the nectar on Titania's eyes. Puck goes and finds Lysander, who he thinks is the one who needs the potion. Puck then puts the nectar on Lysander's eyes, and when he wakes up, Lysander sees Helena and not Hermia. Helena is shocked to have Lysander now chasing after her when she would much rather prefer to be with Demetrius. Puck then moves on and comes across the craftsmen doing their rehearsal. Puck spies the silly Nick Bottom waiting for his cue to enter the scene. Puck decides to make pun of Bottom. He changes Bottom's head into an ass. Bottom has no idea that magic has changed his head, so when he enters the scene, he terrifies his friends who all run away. Puck finds all of this hilarious and chases after the craftsman, leaving Bottom behind. Bottom wanders about and accidentally comes across a sleeping Titania, who awakes, sees the hasseted Bottom, and falls madly in love with him. Titania then commands her many fairies-in-waiting to dote on Bottom with whatever he needs. Puck returns to Bottom and finds Titania pampering him and then goes and tells Oberon, who finds the whole thing hilarious. While Oberon and Puck are joking, Oberon finds out that Puck messed up with the Athenians. This angers Oberon, who then orders Puck to go and make things right. Puck goes and puts the nectar on Demetrius's eyes, and when he wakes up, he sees Helena, and so now Demetrius is also chasing after her. When Hermia awakes, she is confused and brokenhearted to have Lysander hating her and loving Helena. A comical argument and then a fight between the four Athenians breaks out and causes the men to decide to duel to the death and Hermia chase after Helena, screaming that she will tear out her eyes. Puck returns and gives Oberon an update on the Athenians. Oberon sends Puck back out to fix things so that the Athenians don't kill each other in his forest. Puck then goes and plays many merry tricks on the Athenians, preventing them from killing each other and tiring them out until they fall asleep. Titania and Bottom then enter and fall asleep near the Athenians. Oberon comes up to Puck and lets him know that he got Titania to swear away the changeling child, so now it is time to lift all the spells. Titania awakes first and is amazed that she could ever have loved an ass. Puck then lifts the spell from Lysander and redoes the spell on Demetrius, and then the fairies leave. 
The Athenians are then wakened by the morning with the hunting party of Theseus, Hippolyta, and Aegeus. When Demetrius sees Helena, he then falls madly in love with her. The Athenians are confused and perturbed from the events from the night before. But they conclude it must have all been a dream. They then return to Athens to be married. The last to awake is Bottom, who looks no longer like an ass. He also believes that his entire night of adventure must have been a dream and hurries to let the craftsmen know that they must put on a play for after the wedding. The craftsmen put on the ridiculous rendition of Pyramus and Thisbe, which is much enjoyed by all the newlyweds. The fairies then steal in and bless the marriages, but the final word is given to Puck. In a soliloquy, he breaks the fourth wall and tells the audience that he hopes that they were not offended by what they saw. If they are offended, he tells them that he is an honest Puck and they should not be worried about the play and they should trust him to make everything right and that rather they were merely in a dream. Now, Puck's last words should give us, the audience, pause. Remember who came to believe that they were in a dream. Titania, the Athenians, and Nick Bottom. These all seemed to be unsure of what happened to them under the moon, and so concluded they dreamed it all. But what really happened to them? Did they dream it all? How did each of their stories end? Titania did not get to raise the changeling child, for her love was bent by the potion. Did everything go well for the Athenians? One of them will forever be under the spell of the love potion. Is that an acceptable cost to have a happy ending? Is that even a happy ending? Should we trust Puck? Is this tale just supposed to make us merely laugh and move on? Or is there something more to this play? I will end this podcast with Puck's last words in the hopes that I will have inspired you to look into A Midsummer's Night Dream and see if you can gather the answers to these questions. Excellent all but Robin Goodfellow. If we shadows have offended, think but this, and all is mended, that you have but slumbered here while these visions did appear, and this weak and idle theme no more yielding but a dream. Gentles, do not reprehend. If you pardon, we will amend. And I, as I am an honest puck, if we have unearned luck, now to scape the serpent's tongue, we will make amends ere long, else the puck a liar call. So good night unto you all. Give me your hands if we be friends, and Robin shall restore amends.